I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I like to teach the world to sing. Sing with me. seen any black swans lately? So one of the things I've been talking about recently in my content marketing workshops is being prepared for both planned and unplanned goals to be achieved. Certainly this means being prepared for things to go unexpectedly wrong or bad, but they also apply to things that go unexpectedly right or good. A good example would be the company that built a content marketing blog for lead generation and then unexpectedly found that by building a physical event associated with that blog, they could start to monetize the audience in different ways. They could have sponsors help with the cost of the event and ultimately be benefactors to the blog. Well, now Black Swan Theory was developed by Nassim Nicholas Tlaib and popularized by his book of the same name. And a Black Swan event has three basic criteria. One, the major event is a surprise. Two, the event has a major effect or impact. And three, after the first recorded instance of the event, it's rationalized in hindsight as if it could have been expected. That is, the relevant data were there, but somehow unaccounted for when we did our risk mitigation. The same is true for personal perception. We Monday morning quarterback it all day. We should have seen that. And yeah, this feels familiar these days, right? And I find it particularly true in our marketing as well. But the thing is, I find we constantly strive to build resilience to the disasters or the things that go wrong, the black, black swans, if you will, but never really open ourselves up to the possibilities of the good ones, the golden swans, if you will. We tell ourselves that we build these business cases for new content programs and here are our goals. And then we fight like hell to actually achieve these goals and frankly, only these goals. Sometimes, and this is the sad part, we even give up or don't see or don't allow or don't make room for some of the more highly unexpected but positive benefits that might come as a result of our efforts. We have to constantly prepare ourselves to be resilient when unexpected bad things occur. But we've also got to be on the lookout, on the watch, hypothesizing, guessing, and striving for the unexpected good things that can come either on their own or even out of when bad, unexpected things happen. Let's not forget that the chocolate chip cookie, the potato chip, the pacemaker, fireworks, the microwave oven, and post-it notes, well, these are all amazing things created as an unintentional and unexpected mistake. And that's the theme of our show today, the black swan and the gold swan. Let's be as ready as we can for the unexpected, but let's find the good in all of it. And with that, it's time for us to set sail and get our little unexpected hour of joy on the road. You ready to find some cookies, chips, and post-it notes in our mistakes? Well, then let's roll. Each year, Noosh calls through thousands of content marketing projects to gather useful insights about costs, collaboration, vendor management, and more. They've analyzed more than 175,000 projects from companies around the world to summarize things like the average cost of a project, number of team members, time to complete, and much, much more. Download your copy of this essential benchmark now to see how your company compares to averages from around the world. Get the Content Marketing Benchmark Report, courtesy of Noosh, at cmi.media slash pnr157b. That's cmi.media slash pnr157b.
And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 157 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Friday, November 11th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the toughest guy that always gets me going in content marketing every single day, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm I'm doing fantastic. I'm actually missing your face, my friend. I, mean, I know. It was, it's been so great to hang to, out. That's right. So we did the... Um, for those of you that don't know, the Cowboys beat the Browns last week. Handily, yeah. That's let's just add that adverb in there. I don't even Handily. think we. I don't even think we had. I saw one play that I would say looked like a football play from that game. But we're just gonna we're gonna leave that right there. You had a great time at the game. It was so much fun. Well, I mean, first and foremost, it was so much time to get to hang out, to have a hot dog, to sit there, and you know, the game was great, of course. But it was just great to get to you know, get to pause and really have some quality time together. It was really well, great. And, and it was fun for, for you, too, in the respect that by the end of halftime, going into the third quarter, we were at a Dallas Cowboys home game. Yeah, it, it's true. Was, there were a lot of fans it. there. It, it oh. was a sea of blue. I mean, right around the midway of the fourth quarter, um, you know, they, the chant started in our side of the stadium, which was, you know, let's go Cowboys, let's go. And it was like, it was, it was like a Cowboy home game. It was, it was pretty remarkable. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. That. <laughs> I'm uh, sure you thought it was. And, uh, <laughs> and then of course we had the master classes this week, which were, we did, which were super fun. And we did um, in DC and Chicago, Chicago and there were, yeah. uh, there was an election Apparently, I heard I heard something about that. There was something in my Facebook feed around somebody won. I guess I, I guess we should probably talk about it a well, little bit. I mean, should we? Maybe we should talk about the any marketing insights from. I think because, that's probably because yeah, we're, we're. I think that's probably the safest thing. Yeah, to we're do, not yeah. political experts by any means. No. we have our takes, no. but we're we're more. I mean, I think that I wouldn't call us marketing experts, but we know a thing or two. We know more about marketing than we do politics. That's right. Let's put it that way. That's yeah. exactly right. So, what we're do you have a, a takeaway from a marketing standpoint now that it's uh, it's over? I do actually. You know, I think, and I, you know, I, I won't, I won't, uh, I won't pimp my uh, my rant, which is uh, coming a little later in the show, which actually touches on this as well. But it's it's, I'll say this. You know, I think one of the things that we saw was the you know how influential on both sides of the, the, the equation data can be. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, one of the major stories coming out is how wrong the polls were. And I think, you know, you can make an argument, one, that the polls actually weren't that wrong. I mean, they were only off by, a, you know, the margin of error, margin really. Of error. Yeah. yeah. Um, but two, the interesting thing to me is, how much we, and I actually wrote about this, my ICC letter this week, um, intelligent content letter this week uh, that'll be going out on uh, Saturday, we'll talk to this, really how much we put into numbers these days without actually reaching in and understanding what the humanity is behind those numbers. You know, we, we in marketing very much live in dashboards and, you know, aggregated reports of clicks and click throughs and all that kind of stuff. And we very rarely sort of reach through the screen to what the human Ness is behind that number. And from some of the articles I'm reading, it's, you know, I mean, whether you call it the hidden vote, which a lot of people were talking about, or the fact that they didn't, the polls were skewed or, you know, whatever rationale you have for it, what I think it represents the polls and the sort of miscalculations of the data really represent is they didn't count on the humanity behind the data, right? They didn't count on the opinion and the passion and what the data really represented. And I think that to me is the biggest lesson here that as, as marketers, we can sometimes get wrapped up in our own numbers and that can be a, you know, that can be a big mistake and can provide for results that you didn't account for. Well, uh, passion takes action. And I yeah. think that's what, that's <laughs> is that your saw. bumper sticker these days, uh, or why? That... Why the heck not, man? Yeah, okay. Um, well, the uh, I saw a video from Jay Bear, a good friend Jay Bear, 
Yeah, he's of course he used to be a, a political strategist, so he that's right. You know, he knows that side and he knows the marketing side. He says, "Look, uh, this is not about who you voted for. I just want to comment on the marketing aspects of it." And he said that what politics and marketing have in common is action. We're we're creating lots of information. We're doing a lot of things, but without action, it doesn't mean anything. And of course, I that resonated. A lot because we talk about that all the time. You could have all of the course. content in yeah. the world. If you yep. don't actually create a subscriber, engage that subscriber to some kind of profitable action, content marketing isn't a thing, right? Doesn't that's work right. well. And I think that's what we saw. And you know, I saw a stat this morning that said that three million registered Democrats didn't vote. I mean, that was, you know, that you know, you get you get a couple percentage points of that. That's the election right population. There. That's, that's the election, yeah, yeah, right there. And the other side, you know, they, they came came out to vote. And also, um, I saw a blog post from David David Merriman Scott. He came out with this right afterwards, and he talked about Donald Trump understood his buyer persona better right. than Hillary Clinton. And what yep. I wanted to what I what I thought about that one was. Obviously, everyone knows this was a change election. This was talked about throughout the entire campaign. This is a change election. And Hillary Clinton, in looking at uh, President Obama's approval ratings, would say, hey, you know, 55% approval rating. I should be able to ride this in. So let's just stay consistent with our message. Uh, let's not do anything wrong. Let's be vanilla. And, you know. They were very vanilla. They're like, hey, we just followed it. But but I think if you look at from what's happened from 2008 to 2016 and the number of Democrats that have lost their seats, you could see that this was culminating into a, a major change movement. This just didn't happen, right? This was this has been happening for six, seven, eight years now. And That's here right. we are. People were calling for change. And they, you know, they, that was, and Donald Trump knew that and ate that up and was completely different than anything they'd ever seen for good or bad. And it worked out well for him. And, uh, and the person that, you know, was vanilla and did not take a stand, you know, ends up doing something else. And, you know, we talk about that. You've talked about that in your book. I've talked about that in mine is when you tell a differentiated story, you're looking to tell a different story. Part of that can actually be taking a stand on an issue. Yeah. Don't, you don't go right right down the middle, right? You go to the right or to the left. Um, and, and I would say in this election, you know, let's just use the right. Let's just say that Donald Trump went way right on a lot of issues. And I would say that, that Hillary Clinton probably went centrist more than everything else. So let's not make any waves, um, and let, let, let Donald Trump sort of run the show from that standpoint. And that worked for the undecided buyer persona out there that all they wanted was change. And that was their number one reason for voting this year. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that's that, that, I mean, you know, I mean, I was kidding you around when I said, you know, the, the, the passion uh, (laughs) takes action is, but that's it. Right. I mean, that, you know, right or wrong, he was able to galvanize an action out of his persona base where, you know, the other side didn't, um, to the extent, um, you know, there were certainly, you know, a lot of people who voted, but you know, there were, there, there were in certain, in, in the key areas, he was able to galvanize more action than, than, than she was. And, you know, and here we are and well, we'll see, you know, we have, we have four years to, to figure out until we get to do this all over again. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so excited. Uh, you know, and here's the, here's the crazy part. We can't even say that it's going to be a different kind of campaign. Cause I already have a feeling it's going to be pretty similar. I think we it, well, it, it, there was an article today that talked about how, uh, you know, and again, I'm not trying to be political here, but there was an article today that I thought was really interesting that talked about how that the Republicans have now discovered populism and it's now going to become, you know, it basically it's the end of the Reagan Republican. And now you, you know, you now you can see the emergence of the populist Republican and that, you know, and we'll see where the I mean, the Democrats are going to have to do some real soul searching here and really figure out how to reboot what it is they stand for and come up with some sort of rural strategy to meet, to matter to those people that they didn't matter to and, and to, you know, who didn't get action. And I think it's going to be, I think four years from now will be fascinating to see how this evolves. I, uh, I get, all I can say is I hope for the best. I, I do too. truly yep. do. And I truly wish 
for the best and that uh, the president-elect Trump can actually do a good job because I, you know, without getting political here, I am concerned. A lot of country, a lot of the country is concerned. So my hope is, is that there's a great uh, the, uh, a transition, a uh, seamless transition, and uh, Mr. Trump works and hires some very smart people to help him. And, there we uh, go. And, and and what's interesting is they met, you know, uh, President Obama and and Trump met yesterday, and um, they both promised to do that and work with each other. I'd <laughs> yeah. love to see that. <laughs> yeah, love to see if that was true. Yeah. So I mean, that was an awkward little little yeah. bit, right? right? I didn't yeah. realize that was the first time that they'd met in person. Yeah. Boy, that's very crazy first for all the talk that went back and forth. I thought for sure they'd met at some point. Yeah, never did. There you go. Woo. All right. Shall we get off of this topic and onto our regular news? I'm sure everyone is hoping. Yes. That's, that's, that's okay. So let's move. To, yeah, let's move to our top story of the week here, which comes to us courtesy of the IAB, the Internet Advertising Bureau, and they would like to, or Interactive Advertising Bureau, I should say, add revenue for the first half of 2016 at an all-time high. The IAB announced today, this was just uh, this week, that digital advertising revenues in the United States for the first half of 2016 have reached an all-time high, scaling to $32.7 billion, uh, according to their latest advertising revenue report, um, and uh, prepared by PwC. Uh, This represents a 19% increase over last year's then-record-setting half-year revenue news of 27.5 billion in step with that accelerated growth revenue from the second quarter of 2016 reached 16.9 billion an 18 percent increase over the 14 billion from the same time last year um, then they go through and they other highlight some other anything in the in the report of the other highlights sort of stand out to you the biggest thing for me i think is probably a lot of this represents election year advertising growth but i mean it's a little more i mean you, you know with four billion or two and a half billion basically more you can't really chalk all that up to no. just political season you have to chalk some of that up to the fact that advertising is still growing don't you think so it's interesting if you look at this headline you're like wow and by the way this is this isn't not a 19 percent in this first half of 2016 is is a Regular statistic that's been coming out for quite a while. We've been seeing yeah, this. That's right. You know, high every year yeah. seems to be an all-time high. Seems exactly. to be yeah. So you're seeing 15 to 19 percent growth rates consistently over time. So this should not be surprising. But what is interesting to me is if I'm a uh, if I'm a publisher or a marketer, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, wow, the advertising industry is as healthy as it's ever been. But then you need to go further into the numbers, and so I'm going to share <laughs> exactly. with you. Right. Going to share yeah, with you exactly. a couple because it's not for everybody. No, let's it's just not be, for let's everyone. Be, there's let's a, be sure it's a very elitist <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. system going on here. So here's here's <laughs> right. what I found. This is these are not exact, but these are yeah. round numbers. So let's take the, the half year numbers of the thirty three billion dollars. Right, seven billion of that is social, growing it. A lot, going at an over 50% rate. So, <laughs> right. And then $16 billion of that is search. Yep. So, so 23 of the $33 billion, give or take 60-some percent, uh, is search and social. Um, that Which also, means two companies, by the two way. Two companies. Means, well, yeah, here's the thing. It says, it says 10 companies. They don't list the 10 companies in the report because I went through the report, the actual report, not just the link that we're going to have in the show yeah. notes. 10 yeah. companies. Uh, account for about 70% or 80% of all revenues. Well, we know the two that have the majority of that. Though. Exactly. By far, and it's Facebook and Google, right? The Goog. Uh, the Google. Now, so basically all I'm saying is, is that people are spending a ton of money on Facebook and people are spending a ton of money on Google. That is not, that is not changing, obviously. Even our research tells us from a native uh, advertising standpoint uh, that a lot of people are spending money at pay-per-click and social. Those are our two highest categories for paid promotion. So yep. this, not that they talk about native advertising or content promotion here, we're just talking about advertising, uh, which is fine. So I think that the, I would like to, to rename the headline, if you would, Robert, if you'd, if you'd give me, I would, I would rename it something like Facebook, Google, setting high marks in advertising, everyone else sucking wind. 
Yeah, that's pretty much <laughs> exactly. That's pretty much right. what we're seeing. I don't know if you, yeah. you got that. The one other thing before I get it's to the it. consolidation of the. I mean, we've talked about it on the show before. It's the consolidation of the internet, right? I mean, you know, we are consolidating around. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how long ago it was that we we covered Mary Meeker's um, internet trends, um, but uh, but you know what we're what you know. What we've seen is is that very much like cable television did, you know, and how it evolved, and how the web is now evolving, and and and, you know, we're starting to see people aggregate around, and we'll talk about this here in just a minute, our next story here, but you know, people are starting to aggregate around apps, and a few sites, and a few places where they go to to get all of the information. And, you know, there's much discussion around how many websites and or whether websites have a future and all of that. And I think what you're seeing here is, is that the advertising where the, you know, is going where the audiences are and the audiences are currently aggregated around a few websites. And that's, you know, I want to get to that. The, the first place that they're looking is where I want my advertising to be. And right now that's Google and Facebook. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And, uh, the final take that I have on this, Robert, is this, and I just, I just didn't get this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I, you know, I pick apart research. Yes. And in this research, it says, it said that mobile tops search. There's a whole section of the report here that talks about how mobile is growing so fast, 89% growth, blah, blah, blah. And it's now larger than search, but in the mobile number contains mobile search. Of course. Right. So I'm like, yeah. Come on, gang. I mean, you cannot do that. You cannot have the number that you're more than in the other number. I mean, you, it just, it, I know there's talking about desktop search, but it's search. So, you, yes. uh, anyways, I'm, don't get me out on a rant with that one. Yeah. But, but that's, I just, well, it goes to the, you know, I mean, look, you, this is, I mean, this gets to my data thing, right? My, my, what I was just talking about with data, you can make numbers say anything you want to. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I like numbers. I make them. I make stories out of numbers, right? You know, I mean, I'm from Texas, guys. I can do that. So, you know, but numbers are easy to create fascinating stories with. And, you know, the story that they're trying to tell there is that mobile has a huge growth. And of course it does, but it's not the mobile display is not bigger than web display yet. The well, search is, yeah. The, I would love to respond in so many ways to that, but I'm not going to because I'm not <laughs> from Texas. But the IAB, who their, ad, who their members are, at the publishers, the media, right, right. They, they created this very optimistic, and I love the folks at the IAB. They do a great job. This is a very optimistic report, you would think. For their members, really, <laughs> of course, you know but, they don't. They have a little bit of a point of view on this. Yeah, on but this, really yeah. not so much, right? There's there's two members that are really loving this report. Yeah, the rest of them, exactly. not so much. So there you that's go. right. And well, two. Let's just make it very clear: two very important of their members. Yes, um, really love this stuff. All right. We'll move on now to our next story, which is related. Um, and, you know, we yeah, we did that by design. Um, and so this article comes to us courtesy of Contently.com. And it is titled, "Big." by the way, big hat tip here to Adam Newton, a uh, friend and family of the show. Thank you, Adam, for sending this story over. It was really wonderful. The headline here is WordPress and the Future of Publishing. Uh, the article, this really wonderful written article. Contently, by the way, just big hats off to them. They just do such a nice job of, of the articles that they write. And I know it's content marketing, but it's just really well done. Anyway, this article starts out by saying, this writer reached out to five uh, tech companies for this story, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Medium, and WordPress. So speaking of the five you know, horsemen of the coming uh, consolidation apocalypse, he didn't write that. That's my commentary, by the way. All five have vested interests in the publishing world. Medium and WordPress are the obvious ones. They're both well-known content management systems. At this point, Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat are practically publishing platforms, even if they may not define themselves that way. This writer approached each company with a simple premise. We live in a world where cell phones and tablets are becoming more popular than laptops and desktops. Google, for example, announced last year that it receives more search requests on mobile devices than computers in the U.S., Japan, and eight other countries. Does this mean, asks the writer of all of these companies, that websites are knocking on death's door? Does the future of publishing lie in the hands of apps? What say you, Joe Polizzi? 
Well, yes, TV is dead, radio's dead, print is dead, <laughs> email is dead. Good. Of course. All right, well, can we all go home now? Yeah, can, we're done. Can, yeah, it's, okay. it's all, all dead. Right. Look, it's funny because um, we're working on our 2017 content marketing predictions right now, and there's a few um, very um, important influencers that have completed their predictions and have flat out. And then there's mine. Well, I haven't read yours yet, sir. (laughs) I'm sure it's fantastic. Um, The the ones that I've read talk about the death of the website. And I... Oh, my gosh. It's not happening, folks. And I'll tell you why it's not happening anytime soon. Because there's a company called Google. Alphabet, if you've uh, seen the name change there. But the search engine is Google. And they continually serve up websites as the answers to whatever yes. somebody types. And they in. have, by the way, a vested interest in there being lots and lots and lots of websites. That's right. And that's uh, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I don't think the search results are going to go to an app or they're going to go to Google's main competitors. It's just I just don't see it happening. And, and that means that there are two interesting place here they mentioned medium and wordpress now most of you know i mean the the article says i think 26 percent of all websites run wordpress as a content management system and that's and right it's, it's sort of uh you knew and i've talked about this many times is as a diversification strategy as well as your content platform your website pretty darn important uh when when you look at it and you can't put everything in all in into somebody else's site like a you know facebook or snapchat that that you don't own that can change right. on a moment's That's notice. Right. So you can go, yeah, you can go all in on Facebook, and we've seen what's happened there. We've lost every time, and you will continue to lose every time. Same thing's going to happen on Snapchat. The interesting thing for me, and I was, you and I were talking about this before the show, um, and just full disclaimer, I've had an interesting conversation with some folks at Medium about this. This is going to be an interesting battle here, because if Medium can come across and say, look, I know we're sort of rented land, but no, but really, we're not. We're we're a content management system play here, and we can do it easier for you, and less technology, less IT support, and ultimately probably can charge less money for it if you think about the maintenance that goes behind a WordPress site. And they could charge a monthly fee, whatever you know, whatever they want. They could have a freemium model. They could do a lot of different things. I could see a brand saying, "Hey, should we launch our content platform on a WordPress, or maybe we should look at Medium?" And a lot of companies are doing this right now. You and I, we've how many did we cover talking about a few blogs that moved over to from WordPress yeah. to Medium? It's happening already. Absolutely, if, yeah, absolutely, it, it it absolutely is happening. We talked about it, uh, you know, half a dozen shows ago when uh, John Battelle moved his new right. his entire new magazine over to Medium, and and what I said then, and what I'll say now is is that. If and I didn't know enough about the product then to make a, a definitive comment on it, but I'll assume for the moment that that they're interested in competing with WordPress as that content management system. That there's a difference between rented land and rented infrastructure, right? And so the idea of Medium and WordPress and WordPress has their whole concierge service where you know you can go and you get a hosted you know your hosted service and the software is provided as a service and you get you know customer service and blah blah blah. You know, so that that puts Medium and WordPress squarely in competition with companies like Wix um, and Squarespace and and those kinds of companies that are providing hosted or quote unquote rented services for your own property, right? For your own owned media experience, and that's a different thing yeah. than actually using a rented land type of thing, like putting your um, putting your content or your home on something like a Facebook or something like a medium, you know, that is, that is not this, right? So, you know, there are terms of service and there are certainly, um, things to consider there about, you know, the survivability of the company and what happens if the company goes under and, you know, all of us that remember, um, the old website services of old, you know, that, you know, going back to the nineties can remember some of those things, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do that. And and I think just to your point, it, it becomes something very, very interesting if Medium can combine those two ideas. Because the one thing that WordPress doesn't do very good, very well, excuse me, is is the idea of how to surface good content there through go. their network, right? That's the key. And Medium could start to do that as a service to help 
you know, surface great content that is on the, you know, sort of combine the best of both worlds to get into those audiences, but provide you the ability to have an owned media experience. And I think that could be very, very competitive um, against a WordPress platform. This is an, uh, I love that point. That last point is the key thing, because if you are looking at rented infrastructure to your point and saying, hey, well, should we go ahead and use a WordPress VIP service or should we use a medium service? What's the difference? I mean, there, there's none. There, there's the, none. The, there's the, no difference. The, there. Well, there's one, and you just mentioned it. It's a connected network. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't mean it for, and it, from an infrastructure standpoint. There's no difference, there, right? So, yeah, exactly. No. So, so what do you look at next? You're like, oh, I might have a better chance to surface my content through a medium. That's right. Now, That's here's right. The, what's interesting is that LinkedIn had this opportunity, and for whatever reason, or maybe they're still thinking about it, they've gone a different direction where they're like, hey, you can publish as an individual. Um, or you and and that's pretty much it. And you get you get what you get out of that. But they never thought of, hey, could we actually become a content management system? They're, they had other things. I mean, they're they're doing fine. I mean, they just sold their company for a boatload of money. So so don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, they're, right. to, they're, they're doing, doing just fine. Right. They don't need my advice on it. <laughs> but they've left left that opportunity open to somebody else because WordPress. If you think about. Even I mean, you could say smaller companies, but all size. I mean, that twenty six percent is a huge percentage. That is by far the most of any content management system out there. Right, Unless, but that. But to be clear, yes, but, but way it's it's it dwarfs the next one, which is probably Drupal. But but the but it it, it in terms of numbers. But remember. What we're talking about there is WordPress that's installed on servers all around the world, right? We're talking there about that has nothing to do with WordPress, the service as a concierge that's service. Right. Automatic, so, which is the company behind that service. Exactly. Yeah. And so you've got, you know, WordPress installations that are happening at GoDaddy and you're, they're happening at, you know, Rackspace and you've got them, you know, installed in their own infrastructure. And, you know, WordPress was an open source software project that, you know, has, you know, basically driven the creation of blog oriented content. And so, yeah, so that's everywhere, right? So the, the actual concierge services is much different. It's a, it's a much different type of, and, and quite frankly, there are very few real web websites on, on that, you know, and, it, and when I say very few, I mean, relative to where everything else is. That's right. That's exactly. Thanks for the uh, clarification and yeah. making me look yeah. so wrong on that one. I, yeah. I really appreciate <laughs> appreciate you doing that. Did you see, do you see the end of the bus there that's driving away? <laughs> threw you under. That was I, well. Yeah. I think I think just to wrap this up, Medium has an opportunity. They know huge, it. Huge, huge opportunity. There, there's bigly, you, well, bigly opportunity. <laughs> Because you know that's starting, right? You know that has to start now. We, you know, it, he's in, right? So we get to make fun, right? And we get to we get to kid now. We should write a to, book called Bigly. 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 Yeah. Yeah. The book of Bigly the, content the, marketing. The huge book. The, the huge book huge. of China. <laughs> Bigly. Yeah. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> Moving on. You were making a point. Sorry. Uh, no, I have no point. I'm done. Let's go to the next one. Fantastic. Yeah. Let's move to our next and final story then, which is a wonderful one um, where the headline is new research, a third annual survey of a thousand plus bloggers, time, length, tactics, budget, all that kind of wonderful stuff put out by, and this is just a, something that we absolutely love, Orbit Media, our friend Andy Crestina and his gang of really smart people. He opens up that blog post by saying every year, we ask a thousand plus bloggers on how they approach the job of creating content. The questions are simple, but the answers tell the story about a changing industry. The business of content is evolving. The effort we put into our content is changing, and so is the content we create. The pace of that change is accelerating. The purpose of this research, uh, he says, is to track those changes. Let's get to the insights, and they uh, list uh, basically five categories of change when it comes to managing blogs and content where he talks about trends in the time and effort trends in the length of format of blog posts trends in the frequency and how often we're blogging trends in content promotion and trends in measurement so what did you make of this i thought this i mean one i love that he does this research but i just thought this was fascinating stuff here well i, I love you and i were talking before so andy started this three years ago because he had the question it's like how right. long does it take to write a blog post and how long should a blog post be you know what there were no really good answers on it 
so he said, Let, I'm going to do the research. Let's go it. find it. Yeah, and he exactly. Did it. And by the way, this piece of research that he does every year, he gets more inbound links and more traffic than anything else he does. So if you're looking for a tentpole, as you call it, a tentpole piece, Robert, when you talk about yep. the master class, this is a tentpole piece of all tentpole pieces. Oh, my Just, God. And he's get, this is the gift that's going to keep on giving for six or seven months. Right. He'll be able to write, I mean, posts and tweets and in, infographics. And, I mean, it's amazing, right? Well, it's, it's just like it's just like our content marketing benchmark series. So we do it. We, we field that study once a year. We have 12 reports that come out. Uh, we get we I think we have something like 40,000 sites that link to that research in some way, shape or form. Form. It's unbelievable. Like it, it, yeah. Um, so, anyways, that's beside, beyond the point. But research is an opportunity. I loved this report. I loved everything about it because you and I have been talking about this. This our hope, maybe our hope more than anything else, and move to quality. This is a move to quality. Yeah. So, and absolutely. I just wrote. Yeah, I just wrote these down. Here's here's what uh, as I read this. Here's what I found. Uh, most bloggers are taking it takes them longer to write a blog they're using multiple editors one or multiple editors to help them in their blog writing they're writing longer posts they're including more than one in, image they're less frequent about their publishing there's a surprise right it's not yeah. more free it's less free, it's more quality less frequent they're paying for distribution in many cases the ones that are the most successful and they regularly check their analytics for performance that's that's what a what do you call it, want to call it a great blogger great article writer whatever whatever it is that is what we're seeing as sort of the um, the best of breed if you will for bloggers mm-hmm. and I think it's I mean it goes against what a lot of people are doing right now where they're thinking oh this we need snackable content which I wish would just go away as a term <laughs> snackable content my goodness. Right. Uh, great There's opportunity no nutrition for in snacking. Yeah. Well, it's actually that's a good point. You're not going to get a lot out of snacking. Uh, you're going to get sick off of it, and the move is to long form, and that's why a lot of brands are out there saying, "Hey, is there still an opportunity to do long form quality articles on a consistent basis?" The answer is absolutely yes, and now we've got some uh, research to prove that. Yeah, it's just it's great. I love that. I I love the fact that you summarized all that because that's exactly what I got out of it as well, which is quality matters. And my favorite my favorite thing there was the increase in time spent actually creating the content. Yep. So something like six plus hours now for a blog post. Um, and then the decrease in publishing, right? So focusing on it, you know, really writing great pieces and then publishing consistently, but actually reducing the amount of content that we're, that we're, that we're actually putting out there and, and, and getting better results from it. I mean, that's just, that's, you know, it's working, you know, it's like one of those things where you want to shout and hold your fist up in the air and go, it's finally working that, you know, it's, it's finally happening. And finally people are getting it. And the whole idea of feeding the monster and contributing to the quote unquote content shock out there isn't, you know, isn't impossible. We can actually do this by reducing the amount and focusing on the quality. So it's, it's just awesome to see this. And hats off to their team for, for putting a- it together. Absolutely. And by the way, it's, I mean, Michelle Lynn, who's our VP of content at Content Marketing Institute, we've had this conversation. Like we, we always come, we, we blog post once a day, seven days a week. Yep. And we always bring it up. And you know it. We talked about every once in a while, well, should we go to you know, five days? Should we go to three? Should we, you know, just looking at the data and that's what we're looking at and we're going to see. We check it all the time. See, is the data telling us that we should change our frequency in some way, shape, or form? And um, we don't believe that right now because we think we can put out seven really good quality pieces a week. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that's that's the difference, right? If you can, if you're putting out uh, you know a blog post a day and they're not highest quality out there, they're not truly differentiated. Maybe you should say, well, let's let's consolidate some of that and put out one really good post a week. Or something like that that really is going to make an impact with our customers. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, speaking of making a huge impact with our customers, we have an amazing sponsor to talk about yet again this week. We absolutely do. Curalate is our sponsor, and we love Curalate, and they have a fantastic report on inspiring millennial customers to take action. Did you know, Robert? That research shows that 42% of millennial shoppers check at least four sources when deciding on a purchase. So there's no downplaying the impact that social, mobile, and digital channels of communication have on the fashion and beauty industries. Well, I 
of course, I'm a big fashion guy, so I know this. I'm huge. I'm fashion it's, and beauty. You're fashion, I'm beauty. That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. I'm just working every every <laughs> bit I can to work. It's profound, especially among millennials. This guide teaches you how to tailor your content for six style savvy millennial personas, how to leverage experience driven content from influencers and fans to excite and inspire these influential shoppers and how to monetize your visual content on the channels and touch points that matter to your brand. Download it today at cmi.media slash PNR157A. That's uh, at cmi.media slash pnr157a to get this great report on millennials and uh, Curalate does an absolutely fantastic job with their content and we want to thank them for their wonderful support it's really awesome i can't wait to check it out i, I you know I, it, it's you know with more b2c stuff here it's just it's just fascinating to 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 see that stuff so so hats off to them for that piece and and thank them for for being such a wonderful sponsor here okay Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us, oh, feel like the tough have gotten going or that we and the going has gotten tough, one of the two. Um, And I'm going first um, because I have the This Old Marketing this week. And I have, <clears throat> I have a short rant and a short rave. And I don't, okay. I don't know if the rant is really a rant or if it's more commentary, but uh, I'm going to start with that first. Um, this my my short commentary here. So this comes, the, and, and I'm sadly, um, and you know, we have to talk to our friend Bo Sachs here um, because I love his content so much. Um, and I know you do too. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, if, the links back to his site are not, intuitive or good at all i mean going there's i don't know where to link there's no link here it's basically his email um that came in and i tried desperately to find a link where i could actually send people to go look at it but i can't okay so anyway so the 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 idea here is that he sent out an email he's a wonderful email by the way if you want to subscribe to it talks about media and content and publishing and mostly the publishing industry he um, he sent out this email, and basically the the headline here, and this is a little bit of election. I'm not going to get political again, but it is a little bit about the election. The headline is, does media matter? Does advertising still work? And he talks about the idea where he says, basically, he talks about Trump getting elected and really talks about the idea of where what we have seen is a political race where he really asks the question earnestly to say, does advertising even matter anymore? Does, is there any weight and effect in celebrity endorsement? Do any of these things matter in a world where Donald Trump spent a fraction of what the Democrats spent in terms of media dollars um, and even less when he was going through the primaries and really didn't have the endorsements of the other side, you know, and does any of that matter in today's world, or is it something different? And then he talks a little bit about big data on that as well. And here's my take on that. Um, I don't know, again, I don't know politics and I've not been, I've never worked in a political campaign. I don't know how that works and all of that stuff. But what I can tell you from a marketing side is that it still does. And what really matters here, I th- and what I think Trump did it, you know, extraordinarily well is created a brand. And he has created a brand, and that is the real key for media brands these days. So when we're thinking about content marketing and we're thinking about a media brand, creating a content media brand, what I think Trump did was just to the what we've been talking about throughout the show was he took a point of view. And love it or hate it, it was something remarkable. And what I mean remarkable is worth remarking on. <laughs> remarking in bad ways and remarking in good ways. He created a remarkable brand. And that remarkable brand spread, and that spreading of the message basically outweighed anything you could do. So call it earned media coverage or just call it the fact that people were talking about him. Basically, he got the world talking about him and what he thought. And that galvanized, that taking a strong opinion, to Joe's earlier point, the idea of the passion takes action, he created such a strong reaction that people took action on it. They actually voted in this case. And so to me, it's not whether advertising or influencer marketing is dead. It's what's behind 
the advertising because of course he did paid media and of course he did influencer marketing and of course he did had a ground game but he based all of what he was talking about was around passion his focus on the events his focus on rallies his focus on talking about things that would get people talking and get the news talking about him and really took a strong point of view and and turned that quite frankly into action that that ultimately turned in his favor so I'll just say that. So I, that's 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 my commentary, I guess, if it, it, it is even of such. Um, my rave, which is a much, I guess, more um, sort of happy-go-lucky story. Have you seen Joe? I don't know if they have this. Have, if you've seen this in 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 Cleveland yet or not? These sort of um, portable live, what they're calling pop-up magazines. No, I have not at all. It is the coolest thing, it, 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 and I just have to rave about this. So the link we'll have in the show notes goes to an article in the Boston Globe, actually, which talks about these um, shows that are getting put on. And they imagine them a little bit like they're live magazines, right? So it, as the article opens up, it says, imagine your favorite magazine come to life. The writers stand in front of you. They tell their stories in human voices. They do big artwork on stage on a giant screen. So it's a giant, you know, basically a, a one better than a PowerPoint, but obviously in some sort of wonderful live interactive presentation. There's music. There's all this stuff, but it's basically a magazine. And so you then, as part of the show, you go out with all after the after it's all done. Then there's a party after that. After the magazine is the sort of live show is done. There's a party where you get to interact with the writers and and, and all of the people. And you go out for drinks and you have food and all that kind of stuff. And this is the idea of a pop up magazine. And they're starting all over. And I had the I didn't actually get to go to all of it, but that happened here in Los Angeles. Um, and it's kind of like show versions of This American Life or Radio Lab or those kinds of things, but they're like magazines. This, to me, the live sort of quote-unquote theater experience of, the, in this case, live magazines, is such a cool idea. I love this idea so much, and I think this is a really cool, interesting opportunity for a content marketing um, kind of thing, right, where we could take our blog and make it into kind of this live magazine idea and I totally want to explore this more because I think this is just a really cool and interesting way to do a live experienced content based that actually lets you interact with all of this stuff and in a small, intimate and sort of um, interesting gathering kind of perspective. Just a really cool thing. Maybe we should take this old marketing on the road and just do. Oh, that would be fun. That just would be do fun. like little like 50 to 75 person event. I mean, that'd be cool. That a lot it of, would be really cool. I know a lot of podcasts that, that are starting to do that. We just haven't looked at it. Maybe we yeah. Should. Do you think we could get really 50 people to come and listen to us rant about I don't know. Stuff? Well, maybe our audience will tell us whether we can or yeah, not. Yeah, let us know. Let us know which city yeah. to come to, and we'll just we'll try it out and see if it goes well. And, and yeah. the good news is, is we'll get a podcast out of it. So. Yeah, and we'll get some guests and have some fun and have some food and drinks, and it would be great. Guess. Anyway, that's my rants and rants. Guess. Race. That's what I got. I don't know if a, I don't know by guess. You got to run them by me first. I want I don't know who who these people are. I'm a little bit disturbed now. We're All right, somebody to talk about numbers. <laughs> talk about numbers. All right, so uh, so my uh, this I don't know what this is. This could be a rant or a rave. Let's just call yeah. it a rant. But uh, last night, I don't know if you knew, but I I went to uh, the Press Club of Cleveland's Hall of Fame ceremony. I'm on a I'm the a board member for Press Club of Cleveland. Were you and, being elected into the Hall of Fame? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm on the board. I was not elected to the Hall of Fame. I will never oh, okay. be elected to the Press Club Hall of Fame because I'm not a journalist. But one I of see. the journalists that were inducted this year, his name was Michael McIntyre, and he's an amazing journalist. He's a graduate from Bowling Green State University, my alma mater. And um, today, Michael is one of the more popular columnists for the Cleveland Plain Dealer newspaper, and he also hosts a local radio show. Now, I'm not going to get this right, Robert, but basically in his acceptance speech, he said something like this. When I started, it was find the story and write it. Today, it's find the story, write it, tweet it, shoot it, Facebook it, podcast it, edit it, and more. And he went through that whole – he had like – 20 things that he said. I'm like, wow, that was just amazing to hear that. And then he really talked about the business model. 
Um, of course, social, you know, so of course, social media has changed and it's, a, it's come here, it's arrived and consumer behavior has changed. So that's why writers and journalists are doing things differently. But what was interesting is what he talked about afterwards, Robert, and he talked about the media business model, his concern over it, and whether or not media companies could actually stay in business with their current model. Now, for those of you listening, if you follow this podcast or anything uh, Content Marketing Institute, you know I agree with Michael. I'm absolutely <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm absolutely afraid for the future of the the media business model, and and worse yet, regardless of you know we just talked about the election, regardless of who you supported in the recent general election, I believe we saw a massive downgrade in the coverage of actual news. Yes, and to me this makes perfect sense because traditional media companies have had to lay off and consolidate a number of positions. Um, internal research experts are harder and harder to find in traditional media companies. The process of true editorial review is sometimes skipped. I mean, it's a real problem, and I'm very concerned. And my hope is, and you know, Robert, you and I are going to be talking about a lot of this whenever our next book comes around, which we'll talk about on another show. Uh, we're really talking about this, a hope for a new business model, if you will. Now, here's the opportunity, I think, for our listeners. Now, today, you know, we all have the same tools as media. Uh, regardless of your company size or budget, and as more media companies cut back and simply don't have the time or resources to cover the content niches adequately, they're leaving an open space for for you and and your message. Now, mm -hmm. is this a good thing? I don't know. Actually, I don't know if it's a good thing for that we're seeing the destruction of media as we know it and and this media business model. But you know, Frank, doesn't matter uh, for this conversation. It's the truth. This is what's happening. Right. And as Clayton Christensen says, you may hate gravity, but gravity doesn't it, care. That's exactly right. Um, now, you know, because of, of what is happening to media, you know, fully exposed in this election cycle, you, you know, brands can break through maybe better today at, at, than at no other time. They can invest in these things. Like you just said it in your master class. I loved it. You said um, ROI. You have to do the I to get the R. <laughs> right, I love exactly. that, man. You have to invest <laughs> to get the return. So that's so true. Now, if you focus on the real needs of your specific audience, which we could actually make a case that wasn't done in this in this uh, election, but if focus on the real needs, uh, you must deliver a differentiated story. You have to create and distribute content consistently. But it's very much possible to build an audience today. And that's the audience that traditional media in many cases is losing because they haven't done the I. They haven't yep. done the investing because the business model is challenged. So, you know, yeah, the election showed us some good and many bad things. But what we learned about the media is that it's an opportunity for brands of all sizes. So that's yep. that's my take from last night's uh, Hall of Fame uh, reception, which was that's very nice. That's a good nice. take. Yeah, that's I, a that's that's a that's a lot of that's a, and and I'm assuming there were drinks there. So that I mean, the fact that you actually came away with that actually is a pretty positive isn't that something too. you know yeah. i look I, I look for my content everywhere possible and sometimes it takes two <laughs> tito's and tonic to really make so it i happen. was gonna say sometimes it's between <laughs> the tito's and tonic it was my wife said it it's funny because i was talking at the table and she nudges me and she says you're talking very loud <laughs> and i'm like oops that's my second vodka tonic i'm sorry honey <laughs> that's the second tito's talking is what that is exactly that's number two Oh, jeez. All right. Well, we have a wonderful This Old Marketing example, um, and it's not that old, um, but it's just recently evolved, and it involves someone we both know and love, so we, we, we thought it would make a great example for this episode. Um, and it's from our friends at Autodesk, and specifically Dusty D. Mercurio, who we both know who's attended our events and just a great guy and just a very smart guy. Um, he's the head of content marketing and strategy for Autodesk. And the article that we'll link to in the show notes comes from NewsCred telling the story of their new, uh, their new blog. Um, and, and their new blog, which is absolutely stunningly beautiful it's called redshift but basically it stopped it started with a content marketing initiative that has been going on for about the last four years um and it was called line shape space it was a standalone blog that uh, dusty created for autodesk uh, and his team obviously created in 2013 <clears throat> 
And as they say in the case study, it had literally become a victim of its own success. It had won awards. It was seen as best in class, content marketing, all that stuff. But the interesting thing here, it had grown too big and was really struggling to serve any more function um, at a bigger audience than it was originally set out to do. And as he said in the interview that we'll link to, of course, he said, basically, it was really targeted at very small businesses, or he says VSBs, very small businesses. And and they moved on and Autodesk had sort of evolved. And that's one of the real keys that we always talk about here is how the brand is always going to be evolving and the company is going to be evolving. And so thus, the content marketing will evolve. Things will do well. Things may not do well. Things will start to struggle. We will, you know, we just like any media company, we're going to have to evolve our content properties over time. And so they became very successful with this blog, Line, Shape, and Space, um, and really started to try and expand it and starting to do things with it. And as they started to really succeed with it, they basically discovered that they needed to pivot and, and, and move. And so they've now just literally in September of this year completely made that evolution into a new site that they call Redshift. It's a new blog that lives on the Autodesk domain. Um, They've redesigned it to scale with their other parts of their content marketing strategy, helping bring the company's mission and all the things that they do to life. Um, I absolutely encourage you to go look at it because it's just, you know, it's from a design perspective. If you like beauty and design, it's just absolutely beautiful and they've got all kinds of different content in there from you know how astronauts measure how far away an object is and how you know all that kind of stuff and that really begets to the term and what they talk about in terms of the name redshift is basically as an object moves further away from the planet it appears to become more red and that was the sort of source of the whole rebrand um says dusty Um, and all of that. So it's just a wonderful example of the thing I love most about this is how they started small. They started generating value, started iterating, didn't give up. Then it became something else. And other than, you know, instead of sort of saying, okay, we got to start from scratch, they basically evolved what they had and changed and pivoted and basically just very much like a media company sort of evolved and evolved it like a product. They didn't, in other words, it wasn't another campaign. They didn't sort of kill it or shut it down and launch something new. They basically evolved and changed the product and rebranded the product just like we would any kind of product we have and launched it into new audiences with a new look and a new function and a new editorial mission and made it something great. And so I think it's just a wonderful example of something that's now, you know, going to go on for the next few years, but has been around for the last, you know, four or five years and, and now is something a great example of this old marketing. You know, they've won so many content marketing awards that I can't even count. Um, they've done Dusty and his team have done a fantastic job. So I loved seeing this article. And actually, the article does from NewsCred does a great job. Yeah, kind of going it's a through the evolution. Yeah. So yeah. must must read for any brand of any size trying to figure out how do you change and evolve your content marketing program. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we have uh, we have master classes this week. We again. do, Absolutely. we do. Yeah, I'm flying on. I'm actually flying Sunday um, to Pittsburgh of all places. Um, ironically, the Cowboys will be playing in Pittsburgh, but I'm not going for that. I'm going actually to see a client for a very short half day consulting session, um, and then flying immediately to Dallas, my old hometown to see you and sort of welcome you to Dallas and take you to eat some Mexican food. And, and we're going to do a masterclass there and, and then off to San Francisco where we'll finish out before Thanksgiving and in lovely uh, San Francisco. By the way, I have to say that your new curriculum for masterclasses is getting high marks across oh, the Oh, you're board. very kind. So you've done great. So anyone that wants to catch Robert in action, we've got Dallas coming up uh, this week on Tuesday. Of course, it's going to yep. be late notice for this podcast, but we've got San Francisco on Thursday. And then in uh, late November and early December, we've got New York and Boston. So we'd That's love right. to see yeah. you. Uh, Finishing up in Boston will be totally fun. Yeah. Go to Content Marketing C-O-N-F, contentmarketingconf.com, and you can uh, you can come see us in person. We'd love to see you. And, uh, yeah, so it'll be it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. We'll, uh, and we've got a lot of 
We're working on a new project, folks. We we're have gonna some talk new about stuff. It. Yeah, we're, we're going to be working on it, getting going, and we'll we'll release that, that news when it when we can. But we're pretty excited about it, and um, and that's it. So I'll there see you go. See you yeah, in a couple well, days. Yeah. That is it. Yeah, for Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off this week. And if you like this episode, number one hundred and fifty-seven. Won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? And if you haven't yet, we hope you'll consider subscribing on the iTunes or the Stitcher.com. And when you leave us a review or when you subscribe, if you leave us a review, if you subscribe, let us know. Won't you hashtag us up at This Old Marketing on the Twitter? We'd love to thank you personally for that. That's how much we appreciate you as a little subscriber to our little goodness of warmth here on the interwebs. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. We love them. Examples of This Old Marketing, all those stories. You can tweet us up also at hashtag This Old Marketing. Or, you know, you can always send us an email at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that are available on the show when we publish on Monday night and, of course, in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Remember, folks, until next week and until we meet again, remember it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.